0: I'm Nayan Ramachandran, and I'm Dan Stone, and, and this is Jay Play, the and Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of J-Play, the Playism Podcast. Now, you know, it was a little bit of a rough start uh, with our first podcast. Sound issues were a little bit on the tinny side, a little bit of the echoey side. but A little, I think little bit on the glassy side. A little bit on the glassy side. Pro tip, don't film,
1: or sorry, record a podcast in a glass room. Yes. That's my pro advice to you.
2: It's it's weird that we have a uh, meeting room that where all four walls are glass. I mean, that is very strange
0: in its own right. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. It's like we're in a TV show. Uh, I'm your host, Nayan Ramachandran, and uh, I'm here with uh, Dan Stern. Howdy. And Ben Judd. Who will not be talking as much. I have listened to what you said. Uh, the two or three
2: people that made the comments <laughs> that Ben talks too much. So. God, I tell him that all the 100%. time. If he never listens to me. You guys are lucky.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, we've got a fantastic, fantastic show today. The one thing that I actually wanted to uh, quickly touch upon was that the last week's podcast, some of the stuff that we said seemed a little weird, because all of it, and I think it's pretty obvious to people who listen to it, that it was recorded before the Kickstarter campaign started. So we were talking like it hadn't started. We hadn't even... In fact, I don't think we had decided upon the name for the game when we recorded. It's quite possible. Like, a lot of the key pieces came together...
1: At the zero hour. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So we were kind of dancing around the name, calling it the project and the protagonist, because I, even then I wasn't really sure. we am going to keep that name. I guess it was kept at that point, but I was like, I don't know what, what we could and could not say. But so this, this is being recorded on time. We're on it and we're going to be talking about relevant stuff. Um, and, uh, as per fan reaction comments, some fan comments, we are going to be skipping what you're playing this week. You we know, might bring it back in a, in a future segment.
1: That's good because I'm playing Watch the Kickstarter Pledges Come In. That's my favorite new mini game. <laughs> and watch the backer achievements uh, slowly get completed. Because um, I'll tell you what, what a great community we've already got.
2: I'm still actually cleansing these foul streets, so I don't have any changes there anyway. Are oh, you still playing Bloodborne? Yeah. yeah, I don't think I can stop
0: it. So, um, we, we have a lot of bloodstain related stuff that we wanted to talk about, but let's, let's start off with some unrelated stuff first. We'll get to that and then we'll keep the good juicy stuff for later in the episode. So, one thing that, uh, I wanted to start off talking about was, I remember last episode we talked about Tokyo Indie Fest mm. was coming up. Yep. Um, now Dan and I went to Tokyo Indie Fest. Ben, you didn't have a chance to. No, I was. On a live stream, a Twitch uh, live stream announcing Bloodstain. That's right. correct. And we'll, and we'll get to that. We'll, we'll definitely get to that because that was super cool. Uh, Tokyo Indie Fest. Uh, Dan, what was your impression? Well, first, why don't, you, why don't you talk about like what is Tokyo Indie Fest and, and also what was your impression of it? Right. So Tokyo Indie Fest, this was the first, I guess you could say, installment, the first, uh, the first event that they
2: had done. And I, I believe they do have like uh, plans to, to keep this one going uh, for next year as well. But before it started, because it's the first one, I wasn't entirely sure, like, what it was going to be like. And I was hearing it's kind of like Tokyo's answer to Bit Summit, but I hadn't been to Bit Summit at that point either, so I didn't have a good frame of reference. Um, I mean, now that I've been to it, I actually found that it was kind of like my my other favorite event, which was PAX East. Um, it's very uh, developer and user-centric, where users can come in and talk to developers like you play the game, you talk to the guy who made it, you can you can really connect and like you know talk about the finer points of the game and really like convey your
0: support for for what you're playing. But c- considerably smaller, right? I mean, it's not. Oh, I mean, yes, of course, yeah. yeah back it's... seats. We're talking what, like three hundred thousand people go. Yeah, I would say
2: that uh, Tokyo Indie Fest probably fit in an area smaller than the size of uh, Indie Mega Booth, right?
0: Which is so the venue for. Tokyo Indie Fest, was, um, was the UDX building in mm. Akihabara. It was in the Akiba Square. Uh, ben, have you ever seen Akiba Square? It's like I this have. this oh. glass box right in the middle of UDX. I hear they
1: record some great podcasts there.
0: Yeah, it's just pure <laughs> glass boxes for recording podcasts. Perfect for recording podcasts. <laughs> Tying it back together. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um,
2: well, I mean, that glass box really helps when you're doing an event that you want people to walk into. We actually had people who were in the country on vacation Who had an easy time finding the show. And uh, it was at Tokyo Indie Fest that we were first announcing and showing off uh, D4, which we uh, have announced the PC publishing for.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: We had fans come in from the United States who were in Japan for their very first day, and they were, like, ecstatic. They were like, we heard Swery is here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was super cool because, you know, at the time I was... I was with Sweary and he had just finished doing a live stream on uh, Nico Nama, which, you know, the Niko Nico, the Japanese version of Twitch. And so he had just finished a live stream, and these fans were just dying to meet him, dying to take a photo with him. And I said, just hold on one second, I'll go get him. And I went over to him, and I said, Hey, Swery, some people would love to, t- like, meet you and get a photo with you. And, you know, of all the creators that I've worked with and, and worked with in a situation where fans come to a booth, he's probably the one I've seen the most excited to meet fans. He was just like, oh yes, absolutely, let's go, let's take pictures. And then when they took the pictures, he was like, please tweet that, you know, please put my my Twitter handle in there and I'll retweet it too. Like, he really loves his fans, it's super cool.
2: And I love that just before uh, he had shown up, they were asking, like, "Do you do you think we could Maybe possibly get a photo with Swery.
1: And you're like, yes, 20 bucks. (laughs) Come on, you got microtransactions.
2: I wish, man. On the celebrity uh, meetups. My my wallet's like 20 bucks lighter for that. Uh, I did not say that. I was just like, I mean, yeah, of course, he'd be all about that. He'd be like, he'd love to meet you and he'd love to take a picture with you. And that's how I first met Swery. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, actually, this is a little known fact, but I have recreated this true story. I have recreated the epic Final Fantasy VII Cloud in the bathtub scene uh-huh. with Swery and three other guys. This was Tokyo Game Show last year. Don't let him know that uh, we're telling you this, backers and listeners. Uh, top secret, but yes, this did top, actually happen. Top
0: secret on a public podcast that everybody can listen to. Exactly. <laughs> yes. All right. So, uh, I mean, Tokyo Indie Fest was a fantastic event, but you couldn't be there, you know, because you were you were super busy helping to launch the Saint Kickstarter. Now, we obviously, because of our time zone and because we were in Tokyo working the entire time, we didn't have a chance to check out this Twitch event. Like, you got to tell us about it. What was the whole Twitch event about? So,
1: first to set expectations, Iga was just blown away by just seeing the amount of support, both financial, of course, and just, like, people's overwhelmingly positive comments. And... I don't think any of us attached to the campaign thought it was going to go over a million dollars. And when we saw just how crazily successful it was, it was like, wow, holy crap, what are we going to do now? This is huge. This is much bigger than we envisioned. And so it was great to be a part of this uh, Twitch stream. Initially, we were talking about doing four hours, but the guys at Twitch, wonderful guys, were like, this needs to be eight hours. And I was like, (laughs) what? I'm going to be getting off an airplane. This is the second time in a month I've been in America Jet lagged is all get out and I'm going to be translating and on a Twitch stream live pretty much looking <laughs> like a zombie for eight hours. But still we did it and the reason why it made sense to do it at eight hours is because we got just about every one of the biggest Egovania type games uh, and their creators to come in. We had Shadow Complex, Donald Mustard. Uh, came in, and Iga played Shadow Complex and died lots. (laughs) But we talked about game design, and Donald was great. We also got to hang out with uh, Yacht Club Games uh, guys. They're the ones that do Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight, right, yeah. That was fantastic. That was more uh, Iga's pace, and he didn't die as much. He actually, you know, proceeded forward uh, quite well. Um, Also, Axiom Verge was there. Um, And then since it's Switch, we had speedrunners. They were speedrunning Bunny Must Die. Or a few other games, or in the Blind Forest, of course. Oh, super so cool. all mm-hmm. all in, it was amazing to see just this. It was like a, this kumbaya event of what Igavania is, um, and and all of these different uh, creators that ultimately came together because they had taken inspiration from Iga, from Symphony of the Night, and some of the other games that he has created. So it was amazing to just see that support and then of course Colin from uh, kind of funny he was our show host um and then sometimes Eagle Raptor came in as well so we had support from the Twitch community from the speedrunners from the YouTubers from the press and it was all centered around Ega and the reason this was possible is because Ega is this humble super cool great guy and i just let me let me say one story about the twitch stream that cracked me up uh-huh. Here I am exhausted we had been through it, 6 hours of it by that time I think we had already cleared our goal and we're approaching 700,000 or something and he's playing shovel knight and totally absorbed into it right and I and Colin the host uh, says Colin Colin Moriarty that's right, right Colin yeah, Moriarty right. says um wow you know guys I just want to tell you that congratulations you've crossed over the $700,000 mark and I translate that to Iga and he's like, Oh, he's like, Oh, that's great, but I really want to focus on this game. I was like, What? Like you're that's making You're hilarious. making a lot of money here to make your dream game and it's all it's gonna be super in-depth and just this much support this quickly is amazing. And you just you're focused on the game.
0: That's what? how that's how good a game Shovel Knight is.
1: Well, that's that that can be said as is well. That's
0: also true, yeah, seriously. But yeah. um it's just
1: again, it was great to see uh Egan be so happy. Um, it's great to see that much support. Uh, and as far as an event goes, I learned a lot. I got to see a lot. Those speedrunners, they are the real deal. Go check it out on the Kickstarter page. It's under update number one. There's a stream there and you can check out the whole thing. Uh, if
0: you haven't seen it or if you've only seen a part of it, go check it out. It's awesome 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 yeah I'm, i definitely want to check it out because it's uh, i want to check out the archive because i missed it uh so we'll be right back when we come back we're going to be talking more about the first week of the kickstarter and some of the awesome stuff that we've been seeing hang on right there we'll be right back So, while we were on the break, we were talking a little bit about, like, what we want to talk about for this segment. And I did say before we went to break that we were going to talk about the first week of the Kickstarter. But I feel like we can't really talk about the Kickstarter in general without talking about the fact that the fan response, like, blew our socks off. So, like, Ben, you were you were in the States, right, When when the whole thing kicked off? That's right. So you were awake when it launched. Barely, yes. Right. So, right. So you were in a zombie state, but you were awake, unlike us. That's right. What What was that like? Like, how? Like, what did it feel like to like actually look at the number like rise so quickly and see like amazing fan response?
1: Like, so this is my second multi million Kickstarter that I've um, been a part of. Uh, I, of course, was on Mighty Number no. Nine as well. I helped put the different partners together um, and get that sort of rolling. When we did it then. It's the exact same feeling to watch like money come in. It's like 200 and then 500, then a thousand, then two thousand, then three thousand. And it's like, oh, oh. And then to watch, uh, Iga's face, cause this was his first rodeo, so to speak. And he was just like, wow, you know, every time we click it, there's another $5,000, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, those initial, the first like 20 or 30 minutes were very exciting. And the Twitch stream itself started at eleven, so we had about an hour, forty-five minutes to watch some of the money come in. And I think by the time forty-five minutes was over, we'd already reached a hundred and like ninety thousand dollars. Wow! And so it was like, wow. Before the live stream had even started. Before it had even started, and yeah, you, you know, the idea was the press. the The embargo was until ten a.m. And then once those articles went live, people checked it out. And that's that was the the spark. So by the time the event started, you know it was already the momentum was there, and we think that the uh, Twitch stream just helped build it out. But again, we didn't think that it was going to do this. Right. Nobody thought. Was, I mean, Inafune-san uh, is largely considered to be triple A Japanese talent, um, and I would say that probably he's one of the top five or so people that even people in the West are going to know his name. Whereas Iga, if you're a Castlevania fan, you're going to know his name, but maybe not. You know, if you're not a Castlevania fan, you may maybe are not going to know who he is. So, trying to you know work with somebody who didn't necessarily have the brand power that Inifune-san, uh had was kind of is like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice if we clear our goal. We really want to make this game. It's a little scary though. Very scary.
2: Yeah, well- I, I do think that's also a testament to like how great his games are, even without knowing that the same person was behind so many different titles that were so good, you know, his stamp is on them. And you can tell that there's something connecting them, some unifying force bringing them all together. And, you know, it kind of, is a testament to how great they are.
0: You know, for, for me and Dan, our experience with the start of the, the Kickstarter was completely different because we were asleep when it started. So basically the minute I woke up and I knew it had already launched, I, you know, picked up my phone and I just, opened up the page, and I just had no idea what to expect. You know, I've worked on two Kickstarters now, uh, and, you know, this is the third one that I'm in any way involved with. And for me, each one of those has actually been completely different. And this one was, I didn't really know what to expect. I wanted it, of course, to be the best that could possibly be. I think Igarashi-san is not just talented, but... He is world class talent, right? And so I wanted it to be my number nine level, but I really didn't know what to expect. So when I opened my phone and I just went to the page, it really just blew my socks off. I was what time was that? Uh it was like eight or nine. So it was, like it, was like eight eight, it was already funded. It was, by it was already it was funded. It was, already it, was funded. It, was like, it was well past funded. It, it, was, was, like, already like, it was already hundred.
2: was already eight hundred thousand at that point, I believe. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it was already just. I was like, oh my, oh okay. Oh, nice. There was, you go. We're making watching, an eager vein your game.
2: I, I remember watching the uh, the numbers coming in in real time, and I was like wow, man, this thing is going to gonna hit a million bucks before I even eat lunch. I was just so happy for him, you know, because uh, I played Order of Ecclesia, and that was in 2008, and that was the last uh, full-on, like, exploratory, like, Egovania game, and uh, I've just been waiting for a game like this for so long. Tell me about it, brother. You well, and me I, think,
0: too. I think one of the... It's not just, you know, like, the number of people that have, have put money into the project, but it's also the fact that just the sheer enthusiasm... ...that people have for the characters that have been shown... ...the art style, the name, the weapons... ...everything that we've shown so far... ...people are absolutely in love with. Even look at the comments for our first episode of the podcast people are saying, like, we just want more stuff about Bloodstain. Like, stop talking about whatever dumb crap is happening in your own life and start <laughs> telling us about this awesome game that you guys are are involved with. And a I, minute, especially Nyan's life. Am I, am I right, Morales? Hey, hey. Hey there, hey there.
1: <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, uh, one of the things that we have on the Kickstarter page are backer achievements. Yes. Um, that's something that I first saw with Exploding Kittens and that's thought right. it was really interesting because what it does is – we all have a maximum amount of money that we could potentially throw at this Kickstarter campaign. Much as I'm sure we all want the ring of Iga, uh, which he does
0: handcraft, custom make that with his own two little hands. That hand is hand. not a lie. That is not a piece of copy on the Kickstarter page to make it sound cooler. He actually makes that. We were like, "How
1: many rings can you make?" He's like, "Well, it takes you know over a week to make a ring, <laughs> and you know I'm going to be busy making this game." So he's like, maybe five. And we're like, can we get 10? Just in case. <laughs> and we we convinced him to go with 10. Uh, and later he misread, uh, I think, one of the messages on the page where it says the $8,500 tier, the make your own room tier. It says it includes the ring. He thought it said that. It actually says it includes everything in the $750, $750 50 tier. But he called me up one time late at night and he's like... Are you sure I'm not on the hook to make
0: 15 rings? (laughs) That would be a deal breaker for me. (laughs) That would be a deal breaker. Okay. As far as the back achievement stuff goes, I remember when you and I started talking about it the first time, Ben. I mean, I remember we'd both seen the success of Exploding Kittens. But we – it wasn't – you know, the thing about it is it wasn't really just the success – of the Kickstarter itself, that really got me interested in the whole backer achievement concept. It just made so much sense because you had a chance to have people who are already backing the project give them an outlet to to spread the word, to talk more about the game, to even for us to get like a gauge of like, okay, how interested are people? What what do they? What more do they want? And that's that's been such an interesting part of that. Was a lot of the
2: uh, exploding kittens backer achievements were really fun. Yeah. And they had some really cool ideas there.
0: Like uh, take pictures of Batman in a bathtub or something like that? Yeah, it was
2: a, it was a five Batman in a jacuzzi together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, when you have you know that
1: big of a community, um, you're going to be able to do creative things like that. Mm. And what I liked uh, about this is... So, obviously, we want to make this the biggest Kickstarter campaign that we can because that means we get a more robust game at the end with more modes more characters, more what did he say, weapons, uh, enemies, bosses, uh, etc. But again, like I said, we all have our limit how much we can spend. Um however, we also have our time and yeah. we have our heart and probably even more so than than time. The one um great thing about this is the heart that people put into it to create these this art, this music, etc. Because make no mistake, that conveys to the developer To the talent making it. The artist who put together a lot of the different art, you know, he was working 20 hour days for like three weeks. There's a gigantic holiday in May called Golden Week there. Everybody takes off. He didn't. He didn't because he was working so hard for this uh, campaign. And I'll tell you what, when he saw all the fan art come in, it was like all of that just exhaustion. It just disappeared. Yeah. So that heart being conveyed
0: to the, the creators, that is Just as valuable as money, perhaps even more. Well, you know, I know, you know, you hear it all the time, and you see it all the time, where some creator says, you know, the fan response has been amazing, it really like has given us, you know, extra energy to keep working and to keep doing what we do. It's so true, you know. It seems like this sort of hackneyed thing that people say all the time, but you know, when you are, you know, you're in the eye of the storm, and you're so busy doing something, and you're skipping days off and weekends, and working late hours to get something done. And when the other people get to finally see that and they love it just as much as you loved it, to put that amount of work into it, that really does mean a ton. And it does mean a ton to this team.
1: And again, the backer achievements, why they're fun is, if you're someone who normally wouldn't put together a comic, right, but you put the, like, you know that you, in order to clear the next goal, the next achievement, there has to be this many comics. And we'll do a call out on the page but just the deadline, I think, for the comic, uh, comics is Monday. That'll be today, U.S. time. Uh, and you could see the backers talking to each other, being like, guys, we need more comics. We really want this point. We want to see uh, what's further into the basement, etc. We want to get some of these other uh, backer achievement rewards. Um, and just seeing them come together as a community. And even people that would never have done this yeah. uh, went in and, and submitted it. So uh, look on Tumblr. There's some amazing art, some amazing music, uh, and there is just a lot of content already from people just wanting to participate. Um, and that, just seeing that again, the, the developers are reading that, they're super excited, um, and that heart is conveyed, so it's great.
0: Do you have that URL on hand? I, I know that it's on the Kickstarter page, but just in case people are listening, I just want to check it out.
1: I will check it out while you take the mic.
0: All right. Yeah, some of the art that we saw is so gorgeous. I just wanna say, like, I loved how like
2: having so many uh, different fans working on drawing images of the same characters, you get to see such variety in styles and stuff. You you still see some of the original art's inspiration in there. But like I was seeing other inspiration too. Like I saw um, an image that Looked like it had some core, uh inspiration, like a avatar. avatar. Yeah, that's it. Yeah,
0: sure, yeah, absolutely.
1: That URL is http colon slash slash ega hyphen bloodstained.tumblr.com. So please submit all your stuff. It does get over to the developers. It makes them super happy. I'm just going to do one quick call out, and that is to... I'm, I know I'm going to butcher this. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce this name. I think it's... Fawzi Alouche, uh, F-A-W-Z-I-A-L-L-O-U-A-C-H-E. He did what feels like a very gamey remix uh, of the theme of Bloodstained, of course, that Mitsuru Yamane-san, who we will have on the show later. That's correct. Uh, put together. Uh, awesome. Like, I-, I can just envision playing the game with that music playing in the background. So thanks, man. That was a fantastic piece of uh, work you put together. Uh, super excited if you haven't listened to it go to Tumblr listen to it it's awesome
0: actually it's really awesome great stuff so moving on we've we've been covering a lot of stuff for the first week of the Kickstarter but the one thing that I think is in a lot of, a lot of people's minds especially going into the next week and onward until the end of the entire campaign is stretch goals something that I think is actually really interesting about
2: the the stretch goals is that because we woke up late it's because of the like the speed with which the stretch goals were cleared there was there was quite a while where where money was still coming in and the stretch goals had been cleared for quite a while and the new ones weren't even released yet and that said to me that people care so much about this game people really loved what they were seeing to the to the point where uh, even if they didn't know what they were unlocking at that moment they were still willing to get and people don't realize but
1: like the graphics the castle graphics and all that that takes time. So you have to have a graphic artist ready to go do that and update it. And I know the people at Fangamer were crunching, they were working so hard cuz you're juggling everything. You're juggling the Facebook page, Tumblr, this announcements, updating graphics, etc. all in real time. And when it's you're only clearing one goal, you know, every day or one or two goals every week, then it's much easier. But when you're clearing 5 goals or 6 goals, in a single day, you're like, ah, okay. That next one, zip it in there, you know. It's so it took a while.
0: But the, I, I do think that is that's a testament to how surprised everybody on the team has been with the amazing success of the Kickstarter. The fact that uh, you know I've been you know trolling threads uh, on you know Neogaf and something awful. Did you just say trolling? I was trolling those threads. Trolling so or trolling? Both. Okay. <laughs> nice. So. Um, and one of the things that I noticed is that you know you, you'll see your uh, your arguments or your pe- you know pessimistic comments about the project here and there, but one of the things we saw the most uh, was people were just complaining that the page wasn't getting updated fast enough, and it's just the fact that we just did not expect it to go this quickly.
2: Uh, yeah, the support from the fans was just so incredible. It was so quick to to see things jump up like that.
1: And I think that again. You have to adjust your expectations on the fly when a lot more money or a lot less money come in uh, for a Kickstarter campaign. Being flexible is the key to, I think, a successful campaign. And when all of a sudden you feel like you're going to have a much bigger dev spend than you initially were, then you can really like take off the reins and be like, Hey, that mode that when we were talking about when we were planning this Kickstarter campaign – that we said we couldn't do because there's no way we're going to raise that amount of money. Guess what? We can, we can
0: totally do it now. And
1: that is what's representative of the basement. The basement was, I'll be honest with you. After we had our initial day and we saw how successful it was, it allowed us to go back to the table, revisit some of the things that, you know, were pie in the sky uh, sort of goals and they're tucked down there. So I think I have a feeling that when we get down in there, we may already have reached the basement by the time this podcast goes live. People are going to be, very excited and very happy about what they see.
0: Well, that's the thing is I, you know, I was thinking "pie in the sky" were exactly the words I was thinking to myself when I was when I wanted to find a good descriptor for the stuff that's going to be in the basement, and almost made me think maybe we should have made it like a sky castle, <laughs> like you reach up into the sky to these like incredible scratch goals instead of down in the basement. But you know, thematically, maybe it makes a little more sense to go down in the basement. Um,
1: You know, I, I'm I'm not going to officially say that there is uh, an end gauge. Um, port version <laughs> down in there I'm not gonna say it's there but if it was it would definitely be at like the five million dollar mark if so. only we could get stretch
0: it. stretch this keyword is stretch Go yeah on. because you two, you two can play uh, Bloodstained on uh, a mechanical taco that's right <laughs> delicious I'm just, I'm just
2: waiting for the for the virtual boy port
0: <laughs> Can't wait for that. So um, one thing is uh, we we have a really awesome segment coming up next. But what I wanted to do before it runs away from us, now I, I did want to quickly talk uh, about music stuff. Um, Let me. Do you had something else first? I did. I want to add one thing. One quick discussion sure. about stretch
1: goals, and that is one of the things I like about this podcast is it allows you a real time way to discuss with the listeners about some of the strategies and about some of the ideas that went into the campaign. And the concept of stretch goals and how these are planned out. Cause it's not, it's not easy. It's not as simple as, Oh, I bet the backers are going to want this or Oh, they're saying they want this and let's do it because everybody wants everything.
0: Right. All the time. That's well, how, that's how humans work. And, and the truth, the truth is, I think the thing that a lot of uh, backers maybe don't realize is that those. The minute a backer goes and looks at the stretch goals, and they're like, "I want this, I want this." We sh- they should have done this. They shouldn't done that. That's the initial discussion everybody has when we first have that meeting, which is like, "Let's do this awesome mode. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's have like six characters and this because it sounds awesome." And then there's always the you know the the gravity of realism, which is. Oh uh, well, that would actually cost quite a bit. Uh, we would actually have to put it this level, and then you know, reality sets in, and then we have to really start drilling down to what's actually possible, right? Because it's
2: made this way, that's going to actually cost far more than it would if it was made in this other engine, or you know, what what becomes what is actually realistic becomes uh, patently apparent when you start uh, bringing these these like very like creative like stretch goals to uh, to the like the production side of things.
1: And you know, it, it it's worth noting that. At least with Kickstarter, a number like, let's say, Mighty Number Nine, 3.85 million, it seems like a lot of money. I understand. Trust me, as an agent that's in between deals, lots of deals, of which the budgets are 5, 10, $25 million, A, it's really not a lot of money. B, there are things like first party royalties, which, you know, 30%.
0: So it's 30% off every version, right? Is now gone. It's, it's being paid to first party. There's not a single store in the entire gaming universe that does not take 30%. Or at least a large cut. So hmm. that's, that's money that you're on the
1: hook for. Fair enough. Uh, the second thing is that there are fees that are associated with it. Making physical rewards, that's expensive. So at the end of the day, most Kickstarter campaigns that have physical merchandise uh, the actual creators are only getting about sixty percent, and that's a, that's a very well put together Kickstarter. So it's not that much money that people are getting uh, that the that the creators are getting to make these games. It seems like you know four million. You should be able to make the best game in the world. That's not the reality. And so I was hoping that. Uh, we'd be able to educate some of the backers and some of the listeners to what the, the hard realities
0: are of Kickstarter. It, it's a good point. Um, we'll we'll move on after just this real quick point. But the one thing you know that I think a lot of backers don't realize is that, especially with physical rewards, you're saying physical rewards. It just reminded me one of the things that eats up so much money is shipping. Mm-hmm. The minute you put shipping into the scenario, it becomes a whole different ballgame. So you know, costs are all over the place. A lot of them are hidden. We obviously, you know, we're all gamers. We're all passionate about this stuff. We want to make every coolest backer reward possible and, you know, do every coolest stretch goal possible. But we are bound by the the laws of realism. For anybody
1: that's going to do a Kickstarter campaign, one final piece of advice is it's always good to have the production side, which is the reality check for, hey, this feature will cost this much money. Uh, and it's important to also have The campaign side, which hopefully is full of fans that say, Hey, I want this, 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 and all the things that, that a backer or a fan is going to want. Mm -hmm. And you have to meet somewhere in the middle. And then again, after your first two or three days where you know where you're, where you're headed, then you can replan for some of the bigger or trim down for some of the smaller, uh, goals that you may have or want, you know, for a production. So just keep that in mind that it is a very organic process, um, but that, in the end, we're all listening uh, to to all the fan feedback, and we're all fans ourselves. Yeah, we're so all fans. we get it. We get it. Trust me.
2: Yeah, I feel like part of how we were able to be so flexible and 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 react to, to the way the the Kickstarter campaign was going was that like we had initially talked about all of this in real time, back and forth with production and the Kickstarter campaign uh, management in in the same room together. I mean, you know, not literally in the same room because we we're on Skype and all that. But,
0: That's but right. But all in the same, in the same meeting, uh, five hour. Five-hour-long meetings. Every one of them was a was an incredibly long meeting, but I was happy to be in each one. An incredibly
2: long meeting, which uh, Van Tran... Uh, uh, interpreted for the entire time, so it wasn't... Yeah, it you were doing double duty.
0: Me. That's true. You were doing double duty for a lot of the... Were yeah. every meeting, actually. I was
2: the leg model,
1: too, so actually triple duty. in the announcement video. Anyways,
0: um, we're yes, here to so, talk about music, yes? Exactly. So the, what I wanted to get into next is... So in the next segment, we're going to be talking with uh, Michio Yamane amazing composer has a history of amazing uh music and amazing games before we we actually get to that segment i wanted to quickly just touch on our thoughts on the music that's been shown so far uh in on the kickstarter page and uh you know just uh just hash through it um we'll do that after the break yeah let's do it uh right after the break uh we're gonna take a quick break and Play will be right back Back, um, so we want to take a quick break to readjust ourselves, both mentally and probably physically in some way. Um, but uh, yeah, so we wanted to spend a little bit of time, a considerable amount of time actually, talking about the music. Uh, so let's start with Dan. I, Dan, I really want to get your impression on this because I know you're you're a big fan of uh, Yamine-san's music specifically. But what what do you, what do you think of the music they've shown so far? I mean, the first the first word that came to mind was. Well, as words, because it was very ho- googly moogly.
2: <laughs> um, but the, the, when I could actually, like, you know, collect myself and, uh, and, and think again, uh, after being blown away like that, it was, uh, it was atmosphere. I was like, wow, like, this is the way I want to feel when I listen, when I, when I play, a, uh, an egovania game and when I'm, when I'm really engaged in one of these levels. The other thought was, this is going to sound awesome on the podcast because, uh, when we when we first loaded it up, I was like, "Wow, this would make a really great intro." And we ended up using it, and I was like, super happy with the uh, with the results.
0: It sounded fantastic. Sound fantastic on the cuts between segments. On yeah, the last uh, last episode. Shout out to John for doing some some hard work on the editing for that.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely, yes. Our sound engineer, John Johnson, great guy. His name is actually John Johnson. Stop it! And love that. Uh, ben, what did you think? What were your thoughts on the music? I'll be honest.
1: Um, you know. I am a huge Mitsubishi Yamane fan um, because I love Symphony of the Night music. Um, in particular, it does have great uh, orchestrated pieces. It also hits the rock tones. But probably my favorite piece, and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, uh, I think it's called "Wandering Ghosts. Uh, it is the piece that plays in the Colosseum section. And it's like... It's like <laughs> funk. It's like got funk and techno kind of mixed together. And I it's wish just you guys like, could
2: see his airbase here.
1: Yeah, that, air, that was some serious airbase. But it it's awesome, and just the whole wide variety just like hits all these different like genres of music. Um, so super impressed. Obviously, the theme uh, for Bloodstain uh, it had to serve multiple purposes, which is feel orchestrated, set the tone. It also, uh, of course, was used to cut into the um, pitch video as well right, right? so it had to check a lot of boxes which it did which is super impressive but I'm you know I'm more of a fan like the rock and roll stuff that is associated with Castlevania so I kind of slid in the request uh, to Ipbo to do a rock piece and negotiated and, and finally they are like yeah we can we can get it done barely it's going to arrive on the 9th and you're doing the event on the 11th so it's just going to slide in and when I heard it I was just like yes you know I was- it's like I was like, this is, I can envision playing the game listening to this. Yeah, I was
0: seriously. blown, I was blown away by Ippo's piece. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. And what I liked actually so much about it was that, you know, if you're going to have two composers that are working on this game together, I think one of the best ways that you can illustrate why we have both composers and not just one is by showing the incredible like breadth of styles that they can cover together. Um, And that's something we actually touched on uh, in the interview with uh, Yamada-san, but we'll leave that for the next segment. I really just loved uh, Yamada-san, Ippo's uh, work, because it kind of captured what I love about action games. It had a little bit bit of Mega Man sound in there without seeming too out of place for this type of game. I heard that when he was
1: composing his piece... He literally like, locked himself in a recording studio with his band. That was a band. And they took three days to hash this out. Uh, and people internally at Inti were like, where's uh, Yamada-san? I need him for this other game. And they're like, uh, 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 Takuya Isa-san, the president of, of Inti uh, Create, said, I don't know. I don't know where he could be. And kind of had to cover for him. <laughs> so he could slide in these three days to come up with this fantastic piece. So again, everybody... Was really doing all that they could to make it work.
2: That's so appropriately vampiristic. I love that.
0: Yeah, like just locking himself away in darkness and working on it. Actually, well, that, that's the thing. Uh, yamana san is actually one of the co-founders of Indie Creates as well, right? So he's got a lot of responsibility, and he just he he found this this track to be so important that he just locked himself away for three days to get it done.
1: Again, we commented on this before, but it was. One of the reasons why Inti is the right studio to work with IGA and the key leads of this game is because the passion that they have for it. This is one of three games that they really wanted to make. And so I think it's reflective in Natsume-san, the artist, working 20-hour days and working on his vacation, uh, to Ippo getting in, cramming, while being one of the four or five owners of, of Inti. Uh, to spend three days straight on creating this piece. So that is passion, dedication that comes only when you are doing that
0: thing you really love. Well, these guys, Indie create specifically, have such a, an amazing history when it comes to the games that they create. Um, I've been playing their stuff since Mega Man uh, Zero. Zero one. Uh, that music before, was also awesome. Yeah, like since Zero, like... You know, Zero, Z- it was actually called Zex. I always thought of it was ZX, but it's actually Zex. <laughs> Zex, Zex Advent, like all those games, they're absolutely amazing at what they do. So it's so amazing to, to give them the opportunity to come back and work on another side-scrolling game of a completely different type. But, you know, rope in some of the, the gameplay stuff, the music. I think it's so awesome that we get... Uh, Yamada-san working on something that's so different from I think what he's probably used to working on Uh, and it's probably like artistically like an awesome opportunity for him without a doubt without a doubt so since we're here and we're talking about
1: music I've already told you what my favorite piece is Mm -hmm. uh, in Symphony of the Night I'm very curious of the Egovania games you've played um, what is your favorite single piece and if it's like Vampire Killer or Bloody Tears fine but then which
0: version of that Oh, I would actually think, actually, Bloody Tears is my favorite, but it's actually one of the remixes from a Symphony of the Night remix album that came out just prior to, I think it was just prior to Harmony of Distance coming out. They put in, like, an orchestrated remix album that was, like, they took all the tracks and they they did them through, like, a they did, like, a techno version and then, like, a a gothic orchestra version, and that was actually my favorite version of Bloody Tears.
2: What about you, Dan? I, I'm gonna have to apologize in advance because uh, this is gonna this is gonna harken back to a kind of like pre uh, pre days for for the series. Okay. But the opening song for Super Castlevania IV. Hmm. Uh, I can actually still remember it. Um, it starts off so well because it starts off with almost like it's only it's only sound effects in the very beginning. Yep. And then it builds up to this crescendo. Like, crescendo, and it's just. From there out until the end of the first level, it's so powerful. And I've actually loaded up that game just to hear that, and then be like, eh, I'm already playing, and I've already got the, the cross, and, you know, I'm on my way to getting uh, cross times too, so... skittles. I might as well keep playing, then I'll end up finishing the game just on accident.
1: Um, Castlevania 4 uh, was amazing, and I think they have a Bloody Tears remix in that too. And it also, <laughs> for the Super Nintendo chip... Which was good, don't get me wrong. Mm. Like, the different instruments, you can actually hear, like, the orchestrated instruments, and mm. it's just, like, amazing. So,
0: yes, just because it's an older chip doesn't
1: mean you couldn't do great stuff with it.
0: I actually, can I change my answer? Because I just remembered a song that's absolutely incredible. I totally forgot. Is this Dancing it. on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie? I, it, <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. No, then go ahead, you can change. I don't know what you're talking about. No, it's actually, it is the first level of Dracula X. In the Burning Town, and oh, when it yes. starts is, off... Is this Rondo? Coming... Yeah, Rondo. You know, right. Rondo. Rondo. Yes.
1: Rondo. The, the,
0: yep. the real funky bass, yep. and uh-huh. you just... And the...
1: ba, 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 ba. See, like, that is just Old amazing. school music is so great because you can hum it, and that's the problem I have sometimes with modern day games, is that it's it's only orchestrated, but it's not made to be catchy. It's made for set pieces. Like up the bombs are coming in, you gotta action roll and dodge and like, but it's not meant to be repetitive. It's meant to be only in that scene and then you're done. And it's good music, don't get me wrong, but I like the classic old repetitive music you can hum. And I know that Iga was talking with yamane And I think it, we, during the Twitch stream, there's a video with Yamane-san, Ipo-san, and um, Yamane-san. And they're talking about the collaboration. And she laughs at one point. And Iga Raptor was like, why did she laugh there? And, and Iga was telling me, said that she was laughing because I always tell her the same thing. We've worked together for years and years and years. And I always tell her the same thing, which is... Um, make sure this is a song that's catchy, that people can hum to, that you could envision there being lyrics to. Uh, and she's like, yes, he tells me this every time. And sure enough, when making this piece, he said the same thing, because that's ego.
2: And I like that. Actually, I, I came across something interesting. When, in the last episode, we were talking about, uh, Rondo and what in the world a Rondo is. And, uh, it was, it was neat that I had found, uh, I had found an answer that sort of made sense if if you uh, if you didn't look it up and there was some logic behind what uh, what I was thinking, but um, after that I was like, man, a bunch of people are going to hear this and they'd be like, the hell is he talking about? That's not what a rondo is. So I look I looked on you know Wikipedia and found um, apparently a rondo is a musical structure with um, with where like segments of of the piece uh, repeat and they're um, they're sandwiched uh, uh, by essentially what are verses, right? Uh, which recalled to me uh, pop music, right? It's pop that, music is a rondo. That is, uh, that is what's catchy. It's something that you can that you can like. That's uh, the that's the refrain. You're
1: saying that's the refrain of a piece where you just have the same like Taylor Swift. What is it? Uh, shake it off. That's her shake it off lyrics. right? Right. Right.
2: Right. So, uh, without that repeat, repetitive structure though, and without the, uh, without it being, uh, memorable like that, then it's not going to be a Rondo's as far as, uh, the wiki was, uh, okay. Saying. So,
1: so Rondo of go fire. Okay. Boring. Rondo of
2: <laughs> 27,000 tomato McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you tie it back together again. That's good. All right. All right. So
1: you uh, the spot? What about you, Mike? Rondo of what? Mike's the sound guy. Give me something
0: butts <laughs> all right rondo, rondo of, butts. of butts there you go <laughs> all right so i think that's a that's a perfect pl- place to to end this fantastic segment about the rondo of butts that's right um <laughs> when we come back um i'm going to be spending a little bit of time chatting with uh Yamane, uh the compo- one of the composers uh for Bloodstained. uh we will be right back Hey everybody, uh, Nyan here, and today I have an amazing guest, uh, one of the most incredibly talented um, and one of my personal favorite composers, Michu Yamane. Michiru Yamane. Uh,
1: Yamane, Michiru,
0: this. Yamane san, thank you so much for spending just a little bit of your very, very busy schedule uh, with us chatting about Bloodstain and uh, your career as well. So everybody knows that uh, you're going to be one of the two composers working on Bloodstained. But before we get to that, uh, to more about Bloodstained itself, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your process. What is the first thing you do when you sit down to write a piece of music for, uh, for a video game?
1: So actually, uh, when I uh, sit down to compose a new piece of music, I first try to consider what the genre is. Uh, because that sort of sets the direction that I will go with my music. Uh, After that, I continue to look at the different characters, I look at the different settings, uh, and I determine what sort of feeling and emotion I will put into the piece. Uh, And then, of course, finally, I start playing the piano, and as I play it, it, the music naturally comes to me.
0: Customarily, uh, how much do you know about the game you're composing for uh, before you start writing and recording music? Usually, um, I'll definitely have a high-level
1: concept. We'll have some uh, characters, some environments, uh, things to take sort of um, inspiration from whenever I start to compose a piece. It's very rare that I'll have nothing to go on. uh, And sometimes uh, there'll be some of the game even completed by the time I uh, start to do my compositions. Uh, But bare minimum, um, we're definitely going to have the characters, the environment... Uh, the overall story, etc.
0: So, with Bloodstained, uh, what kind of musical genre are you looking to evoke uh, with the music that you'll be creating?
1: So, when composing the basic music for Bloodstained, uh, I'm going to use a lot of classical music um, as the key genre to take inspiration from. Um, I will also... Basically, try to base a lot of the music around orchestrated instruments, uh, pieces to that nature. Um, But of course, as with other uh, games in this sort of genre, there's going to be um, a decent selection of rock that we're going to be using. uh, And certainly some pieces that have a a higher tempo uh, than what a traditional uh, orchestrated uh, piece would have.
0: Given that you're going to be working with Yamada-san on the soundtrack for Bloodstained, uh, are you trying to meld your two styles together uh, to make them sound uh, similar, or are you trying to keep your individual composing styles separate?
2: We
1: haven't actually started to work together yet on composing different pieces of music. As you can see on the Kickstarter, um, I I, I, uh, composed the more classical piece of music, the theme. Whereas uh, Ippo, which is what uh, Yamada-san is is known as in the game industry, uh, he composed a more uh, rock-heavy piece, rock-centric piece, if you will. perhaps when we get into composing all the game's music, that will be some of the the ways that we split it up with me uh, a heavier focus on orchestrated music and the more classical style, whereas Ippol will be focused more on rock and roll. Uh, That being said, I'm sure I'll still compose a few rock tracks as well, uh, and potentially uh, Ippo will also be composing uh, a few classical pieces. So um, it'll be a a natural process where we feel out uh, which... Uh, side we're going to fall on when composing the music, uh, but it, it's, it's definitely going to be something that will be a lot of fun for me.
0: What do you think the music you, that you're composing for Bloodstain will add uh, to the game uh, that the graphics or art will not be able to?
2: Oh.
1: I personally feel that music and the graphics uh, kind of go hand in hand and that music can help modify uh, how a a gamer will feel when they look at the different uh, graphics that are in the game. So a lot of times I'll try and see what that background is or what that section or area is and try to custom tailor my music to fit where it is, whether it's a laboratory or a church or whatever, uh, something that will that will blend with that area and then add more impact to the uh, already hopefully impactful experience that the graphics will bring to the uh, end user. Um, the second thing is that music can serve as a powerful tool to um, adding a human element to the different characters. They're obviously not real characters, but in the game uh, whenever you want to convey their emotions you um, Music serves as a great tool for being able to do that and to, again, uh, humanize the characters in the game.
0: Considering the fact that Kickstarter is very different from the regular development cycle um, that most teams are used to, are you going to be creating all of the music for Bloodstained ahead of time, or are you going to be created throughout the development process? Uh, yeah, obviously I have contributed one song
1: already uh, to this production. Um, it's usually a balance. You want to make sure you have more information to, again, make sure that that music is something that is um, modifying and uh, furthering the, the overall gameplay experience. And a lot of times that means key elements like what the background is, uh, more detailed story, the characters, uh, motivations, etc. A lot of those are going to come into play, and the more I, information I have, uh, the more um, the better a song I can compose that's going to fit that area. Uh, that being said, um, you know, so long as I do have the characters, the overall uh, backgrounds, and what the world and story are, uh, I'm very flexible as a composer and can start composing at any time. So perhaps uh, during this Kickstarter. Uh, it'll be uh, a hybrid approach of some orthodox standard um, composition, but perhaps some a little bit earlier so that the fans can hear it.
0: Is there a specific theme or um, musical number uh, in Bloodstain that you absolutely want to do and that you are willing to fight uh, Yamada-san uh, to do it?
1: Yeah, honestly, uh, looking at the different characters, Johannes um, is a character that just really appeals to me from a visual perspective, uh, also from a story perspective. So Johannes is probably one of the characters that I really want to start uh, composing for, uh, that character's theme. Um, I don't know if I would actually fight Yamada-san for it, but definitely it's something that I'm interested in. Uh, And of course... Um, you know, now that we know for sure the game will be funded and it's going to be something I can create, uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to, to be more relaxed uh, and take our time in choosing who's going to do what uh, song, etc. So that's something in the, in the next few weeks that I'll be talking with Yamadasan san about, but hopefully I'll get a chance to do Johannes' theme.
0: If you could choose a game setting and genre uh, that you've never composed music for, uh, but you'd really love to, uh, what would it be?
1: Uh, During my career, I've largely been tasked to uh, create music for action games, uh, or games with lots of battles in them. So um, if I could do any sort of music in any uh, genre, um, it would probably be something where there was more... Uh, drama from a story-driven perspective. Um, something like that, where I could really hash out the characters, the emotions, the point-to-point drama uh, that came with it, rather than just action scenes and battle scenes and things like that. So uh, that's something where I'd love to have that opportunity.
0: In your entire career, uh, what game has been your favorite to compose for, uh, and why? Um
1: probably some of my favorite uh, compositions uh, were going to be things that I composed when I was younger, uh, when I first joined the game industry. Um, One of them would be an arcade game called Twinbee. Uh, I don't know if it's a title that a lot of people are going to recognize, uh, but it was uh, one of the first compositions that I ever did. So um, everything back then was very exciting and new and fresh. And to be able to compose something like that and see it in the arcade was a, a very exciting time. Uh, another one that was on the NES, um, I don't know if it actually made it to America or not, it's called Guaymon. Um It is a popular character uh, at Konami, um, and I like this title because it allowed me to compose music, uh, of course, on the uh, NES uh, chip, sound chip. But uh, compose music that was more Japanese, uh, if you will, there's a lot the actual setting of that character is a more Japanese one. So we're getting used more uh, Japanese instruments and, and a style uh, that uh, is very unique compared to uh, traditional game music. Um, and I, if it was something more modern that I was uh, happy creating, um, probably something uh, along the lines of, uh, Skullgirls, because that that uh, title in particular challenged me to uh, still keep a gothic vibe uh, overall, but also uh, mix some undertones of jazz uh, into the composition. So it was a very unique blend for me. Um, that's probably one of the the titles that I'm more proud of doing ever since going independent.
0: All right, uh, thank you so much, Yamanesan, for your time with us, and uh, thank you for the fantastic interview. Uh, J Play, will be right back. We're back. What an awesome interview that was. Uh, And and thanks to you, Ben, for for helping with that interview today. I am not going to say that I did it next to Playism's bathroom. (laughs) But that is the running theory. (laughs) Word on the street is. Word on the street. Word on the street, yes. Um, So, yeah, that's going to be the end for uh, this episode of J Play, the Playism podcast. Um, Next time, we are going to have the absolutely awesome... Takumi Nanumura, uh on he is the director of La Mulana and La Mulana 2 oh more great Igavania games exactly exactly so uh, he's a good friend of ours uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing a formal interview with him It'll be my first that's going to be awesome uh, it's always nice to see indies support indies um, It's one of
1: the, the best, the coolest things about Kickstarter. Brian Fargo, uh, kick it forward, give him 10% of the total raised money to other Kickstarter campaigns, etc. Anytime I see that, I feel super excited. Um, one last thing, one last announcement from me, uh, and that is keep an eye on the campaign. We're probably going to be in the basement. There are some serious megatons. Uh, we were just talking with Dan, who apparently did not know what a megaton is, but it is like a huge... Uh, piece of news, a major announcement. So, uh, expect there are still 25 days uh, from today from when we're recording this podcast. Expect the Rondo of Megatons. Rondo of Megatons.
0: I am super, super excited for this.
1: People are going to go nuts when they hear and see what we have planned.
2: I'm super excited to Google this because you jerks won't
1: even tell
0: me what that means. (laughs) Megaton! Megaton. (laughs) Alright, and we will see you next week on JPLAY, the Plays and Podcast.